Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 267 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we are talking about the Novomesto World Cup XCO and XCC mountain bike races that took place a few weeks ago. My apologies for getting this one up a little late. Been uh, running all over the place and my time to edit has been limited, but I think that the conversation is uh, about the race, but also we got a lot of evergreen points in there, so uh, still worth your time, still worth checking it out. Uh, Elizabeth is back, and also uh, Michael's back as well, his first time dipping his toes into mountain biking this year, so it was good to have him in for the show. This episode is sponsored by Hammerhead and the Karoo 2 I've been trying to get back into riding. The Crew 2 has been a, a great addition to my routine. And and above everything else, there's, there's a lot going on with this computer that is great. But what I like is easy. And connectivity on this unit is easy. I, I have it hooked up to Strava. And as soon as I'm done with my ride, I hit finish, I go inside, and boom, it's already there. I don't have to worry about it. This is not the case that I've had with other cycling computers. So that by itself, just ease of use in that, is a selling point for me. But above that, above that, the Crew 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today. It has industry-leading mapping, navigation, routing capabilities... It, it sets itself apart from other GPS options so you can explore with confidence, go out there, get lost. You know you'll have a map that'll get you back home. As I mentioned before with the Strava, you can seamlessly import routes from Strava, Komoot, and more. You can reroute, create pin drop routing on the fly, turn-by-turn directions are in there. It's, it's again, you're not getting lost. So go use this. E- even with all of the power data, heart rate data, everything else, the, the predictability for hills, all of that going on, just knowing you're not going to get lost, that's kind of a cool thing as well. So for a limited time, listeners to this show, Cyclocross Radio, can get a free custom color kit and an exclusive premium water bottle with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. If you visit hammerhead.io... And use the promo code CXRADIO. That's all one word. C-X-R-A-D-I-O. CXRADIO. At checkout, you will get yours today. It's an exclusive, limited-time offer only for podcast listeners of Cyclocross Radio. So don't... And, hey, let's be perfectly honest here. Other wide-angle podium shows as well. But you should use the CXRADIO code. It helps us out. So don't forget to use promo code CXRADIO. It's a free custom color kit and premium water bottle with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Hammerhead.io, add all three items to your cart and use promo code CXRADIO today. All right, let's talk about some World Cup mountain biking. It's episode 267 of Cyclocross Radio. We've got Michael, we've got Elizabeth, we've got a full slate of racing to get through, and we're doing all of that right now. We are back in the mountain bike media pit. Elizabeth is back with us, and 
pinch hitting today from from the arm barn re- relief pitcher. I guess I should say that's that's the better the better uh, term from the arm barn. Michael, how's it going? It's it's good to walk in um, from right field. You know, I I I, I know you guys must have been hurting with Zach gone, but uh, happy to happy to come in and talk a little mountain bike. Um, I'm gonna bring bring gonna bring a bunch of noob questions. I'm excited to get started um, and 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 ask you guys a bunch of things uh, about mountain biking. Um, so yeah, happy to happy to podcast again. It feels good. It's you, been a you while. Put a lot in there. That was good. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about Nova Mesto, the the sort of the second leg in this, I guess, second leg of of mountain World Cup mountain biking for the season. Pretty. Pretty standard grouping of Alpstadt and Novomesto, and I think Elizabeth, you know, at least you and I would agree, probably two of our favorite races, or at least two two back to backs. And um, Novomesto didn't didn't disappoint. Did not disappoint this year, uh, despite some significant changes on the short track course. Completely different short track course, uh, which I initially did not expect that I was going to be excited about and turned out to be really into that race. Um, but yeah, this block is so great. It's, it's, I think Nova Mesto is maybe my favorite of, of the cross country courses on the circuit. Um, I think especially this year having fans back, uh, it was a weird thing to see Nova Mesto without fans, um, because the Czech mountain bike fans are so into this. They're so into it. Yeah, and let's just, you know, talking about the venue and just the I don't know if this is on purpose or not. I'll just I'll just say it, you know, we'll speculate if it was on purpose, but the visual of seeing this race in the pandemic years where they didn't have spectators and the one thing that we noted is they took away the grandstands. You know, the, the, the great thing about this course is that there are actually, since it's the ski, um, this biathlon track, is that there are these huge grandstands. And for the biggest rock feature, which is now the rock and robe, it used to be the um, blanket on the company that it used to be. What's the robe, by the way? That's, What's the, the robe is a robe? company. I'm not sure what they make. They seem to be microphone or music or sound themed based on their graphics and maybe me projecting a lot onto their font choice. Midas, wasn't it Midas? M I T A. Midas, yes. Yeah. So like the Midas drop before, but last year in the last couple of years there was no spectator. And at first we were like did they take out that rock section cuz that was such the key to it and it would it would have looked really weird if it was just empty. Uh but now having all the fans back there it 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 was it was great to see and they built them maybe they had to replace the grandstands who knows but it was it was great to have that great to have all those fans in there it's, it's just the wildest scene every year and as you said you know as, as much as the short track changes and they play with that short track every year cross country they're not messing with a good thing you know it's basically it is it is what it is and it, it was it was pretty much the same again this year other than i think they the the first uphill was a little kinder than it has been in the past, so that was that was better for for the races. But let's let's start with the short track. Should we start with that uh, that women's race. So, so biggest biggest thing here is like reversed, right? I mean, they were going, they were kind of coming in it. They took out the big. Well, the one thing they took out from the cross country and the 
short track was they had those big, like almost like motocross whoops at the lowest section of this track. Those were completely gone. Yeah. And I bet that despite uh, it not being uh, fun as a spec, it was always fun as a spectator to watch uh, people send those. I am guessing that several racers, including ones who had had incidents on those in the past, were pretty happy to see those gone. Yeah, Pauline had a pretty bad crash on there last year. So I think, yeah, and I don't I don't think that affected the race. So one thing that this did, and it's, you know, this, this is... It, this has always been Zach's sort of like, I guess he's going back and forth now, what kind of short track racing he likes. But this was the biggest, like this, I mean, if, if you want a grass crit, this was the definition of a grass crit. So road racing guy, what do you, <laughs> what do you think of this, this short track setup? Well, um, I guess I was supposed to think about the end is that you had such a large group together for the sprint, which I thought was super exciting. And as you noted um, online, Bill, that like, yeah, you can call something a grass crit, crit, but it doesn't have to be a pejorative. Like, crits on the grass is fun. Like, I, I like, I've always said, I like, I like how the short track is a little bit different style of racing than the, the XCO. So, you know, I, I watched the last half of the race and I was just excited to see that big group sprint and to see, you know, uh, Neff come and, and win that just in front of McConnell, but uh, yeah, I liked it. Just because they were racing as a pack, and I think there was some some comments of like they're just taking it easy. They were still dropping people. It wasn't like it was slow. It's like you had to be hanging on, and it was about I'd say in the women's race probably about twenty or so, and then even you know up to thirty or so in the men's race for a while. But it did start to break up, but it was still relatively speaking a big group. So it wasn't like anybody was taking it easy. It's just that they all kind of knew that burning matches was not going to pay off. Exactly. And I think, you know, the other thing just sort of on this this grass crit, I think, you know, there's that's often a criticism thrown at cyclocross races. And I think sometimes very fairly, but a cyclocross race is an hour long and this is 20 minutes. And racing 20-minute grass crit is a completely different thing. If you were racing this for a whole hour, yeah, they would definitely be sitting in and sitting up and not stretching out the field the same way. But, I mean, the way that this played out in, like, a 20-minute absolutely guns-blazing pack race was super fun, super exciting to watch. And I think also seeing, like, the kind of risk-taking you do if you don't have the same kind of technical features what are you willing, you know, how are you willing to throw your bike through the transition from pavement to grass or grass to pavement? Uh, those traction changes, like how far in are you willing to try chopping someone or diving an inside turn? I mean, there were a couple transitions there from gravel to grass too, or gravel to pavement where it was, it was sketchy depending on where you were placed on that track. And that's a different dynamic that is similar to crit racing in some ways but with this other added feature and you're on a different kind of bike and the way that that changes it i i think it's super fun yeah and even i don't know if you'd call it the last turn or the first turn but right after the finish line that that 180 back which i refer to as evie's turn because that was where she crashed a couple years ago got up and still won the short track race for for this they narrowed it down. I mean, they, they, it used to be, you know, people would cut it 
tight, but they left that whole finish area for them to to get a nice angle around this. And here it was just stuffed in, and and you want you, you know you want to get rid of mountain bikers don't know how to ride in packs. That was, I mean that was nervous with those bars in that little one eighty that no one touched or if they did touch nobody went down was was pretty impressive did they square it off was it last year just the single like illegal in cross racing one barrier that you went around this year they kind of like boxed it out or has it always been like like it was it was a it wasn't as severe a turn in years past like it was a it was a wider like the yeah i think you had a wider exit and so evie crashed again in in this race here right too on the and in, in, in the pack, and and I know that she was having you know back issues. Is that did she? How did she? Um, I can't remember on Sunday. Did she do the full race? She did. She was was she top twenty? She was still up there. She did okay. Um, she, it was sort of a preserve points type race, and she said as much. She was like, "I don't like racing like this. I don't like racing hurt." And she was just ready to go home and. And and try to get healthy. What'd she end up? Thirty sixth on Sunday. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be tough. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know, we're not her doctors or her coaches, but <laughs> Elizabeth and I were both chatting about it. it. Was like, God, we sort of wish she wouldn't have even raced. Just go home and try to get better. But you know, yeah, there's she's, nine races she's, this year. She knows better for herself than <laughs> any of us right. ever will. So hopefully she can. She has. A, they have a break now, and hopefully she can get things straightened out. I have a. I have a question. I have a couple questions actually. This is sort of. It's. It's kind of related to short track, but this. I was listening to the very first episode you guys did on the way back from the Sunny King crit, and I was like, I need some context for the season. Like I need to remember who all the, um, who all the you know the winners, who who's wearing all the jerseys basically. Was, so. I want to ask you guys just some quick questions here to kind of catch me up um, with the mountain bike, the men and women. Okay, so world champions in the XEO, who are they? Cross country is uh, Nino and Evie. E- okay, wow. See, I completely forgot that. I thought Evie won short track. Wow, okay. See, this one, I'm glad I'm asked this. Okay, so the XCC world champs, I know it's Blevins and... Cena Fry. Okay, all right. So Olympics... Paycock and Neff. Correct. Okay. And then this is the one I couldn't remember. World Cup overall. Who won those last year? That's a really good question. Was it Fluky? It was probably Fluky. Fluky and and PFP? I Mm. think you are correct. No, Loana won the overall. That's right. That's right. Okay, because she... won three in a row last year and that's sort of the what mcconnell's at right now okay cool all right so that and it was fluky because this happened in snowshoe where they got crowned and i was there and i took a picture of it <laughs> i just <laughs> remembered awesome. that and loana had already wrapped it up before snowshoe so she came to snowshoe didn't race but came just to accept the winner's trophy and in the I take a nice trip to um Sorry, where snowshoe? Uh, Virginia? West Virginia. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. All right, Michael, Michael, it's God's country. It sure is. <laughs> don't don't put it down. It's near I'm, Washington, I'm putting... D.C., according to uh, Bart and Rob. <laughs> I'm not putting down West Virginia. I drove through it one early morning. 
in their in in their defense, as the crow flies, it's not that far away. It's true. It's a little just bit, don't try to drive. It's there. a little <laughs> bit more of a stretch when they call it Kate Courtney's hometown race, which I was I was talking with her parents at the race, and they're like, "Yeah, it's a little funny when they say that, but I guess it kind of makes sense." Sure, <laughs> sure, close enough. Yeah. Anyway, so finishing up on the uh, on the women's short track, Yolanda Neff with the win, McConnell. Retains to Jersey, gets second place. Just great sprint finish between them. Top 20 or within 20 seconds of each other. So that, that group pretty much stayed together the whole time. Jenny Rizvitz, who's been looking super strong in all of these races, on the podium again. And third, Cena Fry, I think a good result for her, you know, showing those championship strikes. Yeah, maybe if she had slightly longer arms, she would have gotten third because she had a heck of a bike throw there, but just not quite as uh, tall as as Jenny maybe to pick up the third place spot. Yeah, and Loana LeCompte in fifth. And then, Michael, as I'm sure you remember, the, the, the main thing that they're fighting for is front, you know, the first three rows. That's XCC is, is, is its own thing this year, own World Cup category. But at the same time, it still determines those first three rows of the grid. So you, you finish up there and you get a, get a better start for the weekend. So somebody like Gwendolyn Gibson, you know, American on the Canadian team, ninth place. That's pretty awesome. She gets a second row start. Also have a fun uh, cyclocross crossover, uh, Helene Clozel. Gets the last call up um, in lining up and finishes 23rd. Uh, so pretty solid showing for her coming in. I think this is her first World Cup mountain bike race of the season. Can't forget uh, friend of the show, fellow podcaster, Jen Jackson with a strong 14th place in the short track. Yeah, she's she's starting to put it together. Should we move over to the men's race? Sure. The same thing. L- lots of group racing, you know, and, and the super wide track. Um this was even bigger groups. I, I, I don't know what else we really need to say tactically about the race, except which world tour team is going to hire <laughs> Luca Schwarzbauer as their lead out guy, because I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. Oh my gosh. Incredible. I mean, talk about crit racing. That guy would make a great crit racer, uh, knows how to command some space and, lead things out but tactically tactically isn't every if he's a crit racer isn't every one of his teammates going no 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 not yet not yet wait i mean when you're that strong it doesn't matter you just go to the front and boss the race i mean schwartz bauer more like schwartz power come on it's right there guys yeah i mean i i sort of caught the end of this race and i turned it on and i just see this big dude just like with two wattage bazookas for legs, just absolutely blasting up that tarmac, little punchy hill. And I'm like, who is this dude? Like, new favorite, like, mountain bike racer. And he had a really good race on Sunday, too. Um, but shout out to Zach in our text thread. He was like, what's your mountain bike crit squad? And I was like, oh, I love this. Great. So I was like, okay. So I'm picking, I got, I'm picking uh, Luca, obviously, just for. For pure raw watts, you just need someone who just have massive watts. Could be your lead out guy, could be your sprinter. Um, uh, I was like, all right, who else? Pidcock, because Pidcock is a guy who can get from the front of the field, sorry, from the back of the field to the front in like one lap. So you, he, you know, he's moving up. He he can either bring a rider up or he can move up himself. Um, I was also thinking Nino is definitely on my squad because on Sunday we saw Nino just. 
Nino is the guy, you know, Nino's, you know, Nino's the guy who's either going to close down the dangerous break or he's going to rip the race apart from the front and, and give your sprinter a smaller field. I mean, he's just the engine of all engines. That was my, that was my sort of like three, three rider quit squad about mountain bike riders. Um, I, I don't think you can get wrong, go wrong throwing Sam Gaze in there. Yeah. Another big, strong road guy who knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, and if we go back, I mean, you mentioned Pidcock, and I think he's one worth talking about as well because smart racer, tactically great racer. He played this perfectly. He played this race absolutely 100% perfectly except for Lucas Schwarzbauer, which you're like, well, there's nothing you can do about that because he was just sitting there. He hid the whole race. He'd go from like 10th to maybe third, just like you were saying. He was able to get to the back, to the front. It was just sort of hanging out, hanging out. He got into that, you know, fourth spot coming over the hill, sat in, sat in, unleashed his sprint and and got second place. And he's like, except for this other guy, <laughs> he played that short track perfectly. But, you know, I mean, there's there's nothing you can do about about Luca, what do you do about Luca? Nothing. Man, just just let him let him go up there and burn bright. <laughs> let him rip, yeah. Let him rip. So, question. So, can you? Yeah, I know that there's you know the the short track sets up for the 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 cross country staging. Not every rider who races on Sunday will race in the short track. So, can you skip the short track race? Yes. Okay. You just have to start on the fourth row or further back. You won't get a front three start. And so, was it Yana who used yeah, to? Yeah, Yana Bellamoyna used to regularly out? skip short track because she just did not like it at all. So that was my question because I think I think in the men's race, maybe uh, in the XEO, it was like Avancini or maybe it was even Pickcock who at the start they were just like so far behind and then like they just came up the side on one of the big climbs and just went to the front. I was like, oh, well, like if you can just do that then like maybe you don't need to race on Friday. There there are always these people who uh, destroy the argument that grid position is everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we see it in we see it in cyclocross, we see it in in mountain biking as well. It's like, well, you got to do everything because if you don't get those first three rows, you're just done. You may as well give up the race and then, you know, we'll talk about somebody like Mona Miltonwalder, you know, <laughs> the women's race who can just kind of like hang out for five minutes and then decide to start racing. Uh, other other notables in here. Um, and one thing I think what we've been seeing is you want to. <laughs> here's an obvious statement: want to look to see who's going to go well for the for the uh, cross country. Look at the short track. You know, Vlad Dasklu up there having a really good race. Pidcock up there. Uh, I think worth mentioning Blevins, just like Cena Fried, world champion, I think starting to come around in the in the discipline. Fifth place finish for him. He was sort of sticking his nose in it the whole race. Looked looked really good. Uchoa, uh, who won at Nova Mesto before and has sort of fallen off on on the short track side of things. Really good race here. It's 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 interesting. He's another guy that I think like if every race could be at Nova Mesto, he'd be more than happy. Yeah. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, a couple others who had, you know, Koretsky looks comfortable on the mountain bike again, which was you know good to see, obviously. Another, not- another guy another guy for your crit squad. There you go, because he's actually on the road now. <laughs> he's uh, roadie. <laughs> it was a shame that we didn't get to see how he would do on Sunday. Martin's Blooms had a great short track race, but then apparently broke his collarbone in training on Saturday. Oof. So was out by Sunday. Um, 
kind of a bummer. Disappointing, Andre Sink. I think it's, I don't know, there's something about it. I used to see it with Kohavi too. There's just something about the pressure of being Czech and racing at this race, which I think is is really, really tough. And yeah. Yeah, we also saw Gerhard Kirschbaumer poke his nose toward the front of the short track race, which was something we haven't seen him kind of mixing it up toward the front recently. So, you know, didn't necessarily translate into a huge result, but he was feel maybe feeling back in a better state than he had been in a while, which was nice to see. All right, should we uh, move on? Anything else in the short track, or should we move on to the cross-country races? Uh, Michael, any other any other questions you got before we get into this? Uh, no, but I wait. I did have. I can't remember now, but it'll it'll come to me. I do want to say that I really think the U.S. crit scene needs to adopt this new style of call-ups that cross is doing and mountain biking doing where you call up sort of like the 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 back rows first and then you bring in the front row it's so good it like i didn't understand it at first i remember we talked about the media pit last year i was like what are they doing but now i completely get it and like going to crits where they're calling up these people and then they you have like the last call up is sort of like you know the the best winner like the, the leader of the series and he's that person is usually having to jam his way through all these other crit racers. And like, I'm like, come on, y'all. It's not that hard to figure this out. Mountain bike, cross, they've got it. Let's just adopt this new system. It's it's so much better for the racers, for the media. That's my little. Mountain biking does it perfectly, too, because it's two separate entrances. There is a first row entrance and there's an everybody else entrance. And there's separate tape, too. They tape off the second. You, you go and you look and you... You know, the first time I saw this when I was covering it, it was like it was just these three things of tape because there was everybody tape, there was front row tape, and then there was media stay behind this tape. And and it's and they all so mountain biking too when they warm up, they all bring their rollers there. So there's this whole line of them on the side for the front row, and they get their own little slots to to warm up and pull their rollers in there and get ready for the race. And then, yeah, you get all, everybody else gets called up and then you get to the main event you get your top eight and you get your, your selected, uh, call-ups and then off to the races, they start it. And those guys don't have to wait there for 50 other call-ups at the end. Right. M- Michael, I'll send you a bunch of pictures. Cause I was obsessed at snowshoe with watching how they had done this. And I was obsessed at Mont St. Anne when I went there for worlds with how they had organized all of this, because it was so tidy and so smart. And the level of, I think, stress that that probably takes off of i mean especially the front row but everybody else too like it's great and then you don't have your front row standing there forever and ever like in a cross race where you know you're waiting for call up number 67 and you're just standing there forever in you know whatever conditions there are like it, it it just like it looks so pro i'm sure it feels really pro it reminds me of, you know, the basketball, like the starting lineup coming in onto the court. Like it gives a certain like reverence to it and some ceremony to it that I think it it, it deserves it. And especially if you're putting this on TV, like, come on. They got to bring in a little more Alan Parsons project, though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm watching the winning time, like the Lakers series on hbo right now and i'm all about the show like make it a show 
Mountain biking is so good. Like just watching this coverage, like we've talked about this before, but like they, the mountain biking is the best of better than cyclocross and better than road and just time gaps. I mean, it's just, they do it so well. I mean, I know this is like Red Bull stuff too. So it's, it's just really good. There's just so much to take in and they provide it all for you. They're giving you the viewers so much information and like helping tell that story. It's, it's top-notch stuff. I really like it. Um, and Bill, the UCI tape guy, same same guys there. Oh, Bayot. Yeah, no. This is this is where he 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 honed his skills, <laughs> and I think it's why he uh, is frustrated with the cyclocross uh, media folks who d- have not been trained by him <laughs> week after week on on how to behave in a in a starting grid. Oh, I have one more question. Sorry. What's the length of a mountain bike race? I mean, like, I know it's like around an hour and 15, but like, is that, is it, it has to be an hour and 15? How do they decide what the length? I would have to check the regulations, but I don't, I'm not sure what that is, but for the time slots that are given, that's, that's what it ends up being. Okay. And the laps, the amount of laps is predetermined ahead of time. Like it's not decided during lap one. You're, you have a fixed fixed distance yeah Um, yeah, you know on saturday after the manager's meeting yeah that yes saturday after the manager's meeting they send out a communicate all the team managers and say men are doing eight laps women are doing six laps these are all your start times okay and there's a bit of i mean i I think this is it trickles down a little bit into the amateur levels too like there's a bit of contentiousness they used to be longer uh in duration it used to be more that the men were like more like two and a half hours uh, and that the you know women were maybe more like two hours in duration, and that then tightened up at some point. It got a little bit shorter. I think there's you know not to go too much into this, but I think in the amateur levels or the like sort of local regional racing, part of the challenge comes in where you're bound by the course. Uh, on setting laps and usually the laps are longer in distance and so that's why you might have for example a local elite race being three three laps long and the intermediate is two laps long and you know there's you have a much bigger distance differential between those laps Um, whereas I think on a lot of these world cup tracks they have a lot more flexibility because the laps are pretty short Uh, so you don't have that like you know, five, six mile, seven mile loop, you have something that's considerably shorter. And so there's a lot more flexibility on sort of nailing how long that the, you know, how many laps you're going to do to kind of hit that time marker. And it's everything that you were saying about what you liked about mountain biking and what Red Bull brought to it. Red Bull is, was a, a driving force in this. And yes, a lot of sort of old head mountain bike racers don't like it. And they think that it's not real, Mountain cross country mountain biking because it's not three four hours go off into the woods we'll see you you're going to do two laps and then you'll be back that is that is I think compelling for an athlete and that's the argument that I used to fight with certain people on where they were like well you're not the athletes aren't then they're trained they're not they're not doing what they're training for and they're not not pushing themselves to their full limit and i'm like that's fine but those athletes then aren't making six figures a year because this is exciting this is a different sport this xc olympic this is made for tv it's why they're shorter laps it's why they're a great you know uh, 
sight, sight lines across the whole thing. It looks a lot more like cyclocross, which is another sport built in the modern age, built for TV. And it's why it's so popular. I mean, that's, that's, that's what is great about it. I, I, you know, in, in the same way that people complain that it's not technical enough people, you know, there are a lot of, it's just, you know, it's just roadies with the uh, knobby tires, you know, all of these complaints that you get about modern mountain biking, which I think is all misplaced because the racing is more exciting than it's ever been. And, and it's, it's stuff that the races are compelling. They're competitive. We get these, these sprint finishes and you, you weren't always seeing that. And you weren't, you weren't seeing the races before. And now you get to see the race. And in fairness, the marathon discipline really stepped up to fill what cross country mountain biking used to be more like. And correct. Yeah. I was going to make that point that marathoning is now what cross country used to be. And then, you know, you have these eight hour, 10 hour races. That is what, marathon use everything is just sort of no, like down now you have gravel to take place of the and uh, yeah yeah you want to go race for eight hours go do a gravel race <laughs> should we should we talk before we get into the racing itself should we talk about the uh the uh official communique from the uci that came out following the the practice day and all of the violations that had occurred because i think i think it's just kind of interesting and it's something that we've touched on in the past just to, to run down so loana lecompte and uh, Canyon were dinged. They were fined because, and we've talked about this before, uh, they were using team, she was using a team plate. So to, there are designated times for elite men to practice and for elite women to practice. And they're not suggestions. They, it is like, this is the time you can be on the course if you want to wait until six o'clock when everybody goes home and they're still light, you can jump on the course. Or if you get there before, that's, that's okay. But during the day when everybody's out there working, doing whatever, Saturday you had U20, you had a junior races out there, you had a lot going on. These are the times that these groups are allowed to practice. If you want more practice time, what used to happen is that coaches are allowed to go out there and practice with their athletes. They are given team plates. So the, the, the number plate for the bike just says team on it. And that's what they use. And you can be a male coach going out with female athletes that way. You can be a female coach going out with male athletes. So you can be on course even though – because you're not an athlete whenever if you have that team plate. Athletes would then take those team plates, put them on their bikes, and go and warm up either outside of any practice time because they figured that was okay for a manager or a coach or with the wrong class. So men's people in the men's field would be – racing with people or practicing with people in the women's field. That's what LeCompte did. She was caught. She was fined. Um, do we want to talk about this one to start out with? Because I got, I got some ideas on this. This is something that the UCI in the last couple of years really started to clamp down on. They, it used to just, they used to just let it go. Now they're starting to do these fines. Um, I, I don't think the fines matter, but Elizabeth, thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I I think this is, I obviously, I understand this is something that happens for a reason. You don't want chaos on the course. You want to be able to give people, uh, you know, give the athletes adequate windows of time where they're out there without a whole bunch of other people from other classes dinking around and clogging things up. You want, and it, you know, and it, to a certain degree, it makes sense to have time where it's all athletes in the same class because in all likelihood they are riding in a similar capacity. Uh, and 
So there's there's definitely a reason for this. There's a reason for control. There's a reason to give people fair chance to practice. I do think, though, that this puts somebody like Luana, who does not have women teammates, into a challenging position. I think the same thing happens for someone like Mona Mittenwaller, who also does not have women teammates to practice with. And if your team, if you are the one woman on a team with a bunch of men, uh, and you want, I mean, if, let's go out on a limb here and say that those men are willing to ride with you as teammates, because we can't count on that being a given. But let's say they are uh, being able to share practice time with some of your other teammates would be a nice thing because they probably have some ideas on sessioning some things um, just like any other teammate might. I find this an interesting, so I have a bit of a, a hot theory on this that Caroline Boa, who is coming also out of the U23 ranks at the same time as Mona Mittenwalder, is on an all-women's team. So she doesn't have this challenge. She has all of her teammates to practice with. So I think it's, I mean, I, I it's a difficult conundrum in some senses because I think you have to make a rule somewhere. Um, but I think punishing in this way, or maybe this becomes a pressure test for examining how this rule should be enforced, because I do think that this really puts somebody who is the only person of their gender on a team at a disadvantage. Yeah, and it's it's also like not everybody's going to show up. I mean, the one thing that they do have going for them, you show most teams show up Wednesday, and they're able to get on the track and 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 do that as a team. But it's different. It's not the same environment. It's not close to the race. You know, lines change, lines get dialed in. So that's the, the that's what's going on with that. The one thing that I will say is that if the UCI wants to enforce this rule fines or have no teeth I, I don't know what the fine was but i'm sure it is less than what loana lecompte won for coming in second and if that's the price that she has to pay to if it is that important for her to be practicing at a different time or with the rest of her team then I think that's 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 just kind of the price of doing business. If if that's what they're going to say, they're, they're going to say you violate this rule, you get fined. Then then pay the fine. I think if they really want to enforce it, and you say you violate this rule, you're at the back of the grid. Then you don't have people doing this anymore. Right, and I think you know there are some easy fixes too. Is just to like make a more flexible time that is open only to athletes. But it's not. Yeah, I wonder if there is a mixed time. I I, I want to check the schedule too because there might be. I'm not positive, but there might be a mixed team time as well. Because uh, I know that in the past, the teams that I had worked for would all go out there at the same time and get onto the track. I know at other times they would go outside of the practice and get yelled at. So, uh, <laughs> you know, this is this has been going on for years. But but yeah. So that's that was that infringement, and then the other. Uh, piece that the UCI came down hard on and was uh, with uh, Jordan Saru and this this is interesting because it's Jordan Saru and the specialized team uh, and it was for modification of the bike plate and then Lars Forster also got dinged for modifying his bike plate but uh, Saru and the team also uh, got dinged for 
separate from the modification of the bike plate, it was failure to respect instructions of the commissaire. So we don't, we're not sure what that relates to and if that's more of the team thing. But the the bike plate part, and again, it's a fine. I, I looked at the pictures and what Specialized did on Saru's bike, I didn't check the other bikes, was that they clipped off one of the sponsors of this race from the bike plate. And one of the historical sponsors of this Czech race is Cannondale. So I, I, I think, again, it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to find me for this, I'm sure the specialized marketing department that's going to use all of these pictures from Nova Mesto be more than happy to pay that fine so that they don't have Cannondale on the front of their bike when they're trying to, you know, put these pictures out there. That's, that, that, that's my guess on what happened here. Well, I, you know, it's a pretty easy guess. They cut Cannondale off of the, off of the plate and he got fined for it. And I think that's another thing that if you really want to enforce it, tell him he's starting in the 10th row, tell him he's starting in the back of the grid. Uh, other than that, I don't know. I just feel like the, these companies, it reminds me, here's what it reminds me of. This is a inside the beltway in DC thing is that when they, we have express lanes. Now you have your little, you, you know, pass toll pass, and you can get in the express lanes. Back in a better time, those express lanes were HOV lanes. Like the HOV lanes are gone. You can be one person in a car as long as you want to pay the toll, you're cool. HOV lanes were free, but you had to have two people in the car. And they used to have this whole system where you would, they called them slugs, and people would wait at metro stations. And somebody would come by in a car, they would jump in your car, and then you would jump on the HOV lane, and it saved you a ton of time if you were coming from like Northern Virginia and you worked, you know, downtown for the for the government or whatever else. And this happened every day. It was just this whole system, the slug system that happened. There were companies, and I know this for a fact, there were companies who told their employees, don't worry about the slugs. We need you here at this time. Just get here, get in the HOV line, we'll pay the fines. If you get a ticket, we don't care. We'll pay for you. In fact, we'll give you a stipend. Here's $200 a month or whatever it is just to get caught in the HOV lanes, and then we'll pay for it. It's more important for you to be there. That's what I see these fines being. It's, it's, it's like this business decision, and they have zero teeth. I love this deep cut that doesn't get us to maybe use transit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ride the metro. It's much nicer. All right. Any other? <laughs> that was a long bit on. I love it. On this the is fines. a good crossover podcast moment here, Bill. Yeah, slugs. People riding with slugs. I mean, it's great. I'm into it. Should we move on to the racing? Yeah, Elizabeth, women's race. Okay, so I think just starting out, it is seemingly universal that athletes love this course. Uh, everybody seems stoked to be racing here. I think uh, people really want to do well here, uh, which is uh, exciting. I think people don't write themselves off as this isn't a good course for me. Um, they are excited to race and they think a podium will be hard because everybody else puts this as their A race too. Like everyone wants to do well here. Everybody loves it. People have fun pre-riding all week long and then it's like go time on the race day. Uh, it was really dry this year, which is something that we haven't seen in the past few years. Uh, and I think 
the which is great um because some of the treachery uh of this course when it's wet was taken out and we could see athletes really pushing their limits on a technical course that was dry um which i think is fun it's really different to watch people riding you know dry slippery routes where you can't trust the traction because it's dry not because it's wet and the worst parts on this course when it's wet, it's not that it's necessarily a crash risk. It's that the, and so, you know, like the, the Shimano expert climb, I think is the biz- biggest example of this is, is the climbing was just treacherous. You got on those rocks and, and I think it was it last year that we, we had a lot of people running those sections. Yeah, absolutely. So I think seeing, seeing every feature be rideable and seeing a lot of them be rideable at it, speeds that I think are, you know, just sort of eye popping. Uh, and wow, some great riding really great riding uh, by, you know, I think ways that we could see some technical prowess differences between some of our riders on the descents. I think, you know, notably like Jenny Rizved's looking really great descending, um, closing gaps on, uh, on descents in ways that maybe we haven't seen in a few weeks, months, races, whatever you want to say. And, you know, my pal Becca McConnell, continuing her great season it's really lovely yeah where did she where did she get her gap elizabeth because i just i have a note lap two she had a gap i'm trying to remember where did it happen and what section of the course was that it was i believe on one of the climbing sections um though not on the longest climb and she but she attacks into the section with the BMX jumps, which is a downhill. So she attacks before that and gets a gap going into those. Then there's a little bit of a sort of flat before there's another climb. So she kind of piles together a couple of attacks to, but she makes the first bit of the attack is to get to that descent first, to get into those BMX. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Here's a question for you, Michael. If if you when you're watching the racing on this track, what do you think is the most what do you think are the most technical sections of this track? I think there's well, I do think that climb section with like I guess it's the roots, it seems really technical because of how steep it is. And I, I think that's the one they talk about them walking when it's wet. That and it's that section and then there's that one rock section, maybe that's a rock and robe, which just seems gnarly, but God, they were flying down that section. Flying. Yeah. I think that that's the deceptive thing about this this track is that you're I think I think you nailed it with that Shimano expert climb. That's probably the hardest technical section, which is interesting because it is on a climb. But then I think also what Elizabeth was noting, sort of this serpentine descent uh before the BMX. Uh, the BMX section, and then also the descent after that section back into the the pump track don't look technical. They yeah. look sort of innocuous, but it's kind of like in cyclocross where it's like if you know how to corner, mm. that's where you can make up speed. And those are the those are the places that I think the descenders 
are really able to take advantage, even though on paper it doesn't look that technical because it's not these huge rocks. And you look at those rocks and you can see it. And if you've even seen it in the past with people who don't have like a ton of mountain biking experience but are great bike racers, they can they just nail those sections. Once somebody shows them the line, once they figure it out, it's straight, you know, and it's just sort of like let it go and let it fly. And the same thing on the uh, after the ACDC, those those uh, rock section will look super cool. And it's something that I would crash every time down there and probably kill myself. But once they get it, they're able to just fly. And it's like not even a thought for those sections. And it's the other ones. But it's really, it's really interesting because this looks, when you look at it, you're like, holy shit, look at all these boulders out there. <laughs> this looks like a really tough course. But I think it's the the deceptively almost boring sections that that make the difference on this track, which makes it super cool. Plus you have this like just insane climb in the middle of it. Yeah, I think you're that's a really good point, Bill. And I think, you know, that rock garden is, you know, if you come in there, you don't know the line and you don't bring speed into it, it's not going to go well. And if you lose focus while you're doing it, it's not gonna go well. But it's mostly downhill. There's a lot of momentum and frankly the bikes are great. So there's going to be a lot that is going to be fine if you know the line and and you have, you know, enough bike handling skills to handle it. But seeing the way that you can take, you know, the the difference in the speed that someone who is a really good bike handler can do on some of those that's those serpentine sections or that long descent that they sent the drone behind the racers on. I mean, that again, it like it doesn't look like much, but then if you watched, you know, shot for shot, you compared the shots and you saw how is Jenny riding this versus how is Loana riding this, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's there's a difference. Like the exit speed is different. I mean, I think watching Becca McConnell, who was riding phenomenally, she's pedaling the descents. You yes. don't pedal the descents if you're not crushing it. And she was crushing it, pedaling those descents, like adding speed to some some place where she already had a lot of speed she's adding just that little bit more because she knows exactly what she's doing in there yeah i noticed that i think even it was like lap one or maybe lap two but just like after that first little rock section you do you think you coast you like come off and coast but it was no immediately pedaling i was like oh she's on a good day and she's like you said ripping it so yeah i like that that's sort of a a signifier is looking at where they're pedaling one of the questions I had sort of kind of last year was wondering, um, like, are you recovering on the downhills? And sort of I went mountain biking last year and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like it doesn't seem like downhills are not recovery time. Uh, your heart is still racing. So that was that's interesting to think about that and, and, and sort of like where does that come in the lap? And you saw at some point for some riders that came in the start finish. Um, that was sort of like take a breather and maybe the feed zone. But we also saw other riders like McConnell. She came to the start finish. She was charging every lap. It was just like keeping that speed going. So I thought that was interesting to see how riders sort of had to break up the course and it wasn't the same for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, you know, a good point and a real difference in mountain biking is where you choose your recovery is going to depend on, you know, racing to your strengths and, and mitigating your weaknesses and knowing where is it an advantage to, to you to keep going if you know that other people will be recovering there. And I think the example with that start finish straight and McConnell is a perfect one. She knows 
she's by herself. She's not going to get a recovery from sitting in someone's draft. So might as well hammer and not let anybody get any closer because they might be dicking around back there taking, you know, pulls or switching out or get angry at each other for not doing that. So, you know, why waste that energy? Just go. It's easy there. So it's not like it's, you know, technically difficult. It's not like there's any focus you have to lose. So put that down and then maybe dial it back a little on a less technical climb or you do get a little bit of recovery on some descents. Uh, depends on the descent, but the less technical descents, yeah, you're getting recovery. I mean, it might only be five seconds, but it's something. Um, so I think that's it's a really good observation that you're you're measuring that out, and it's definitely not the same for everyone. Yeah, I think we saw it more in the men's race than the women's race, but it's 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 like every other discipline you see. Group rides are more dangerous than than interval training if you're a if you're a solo you, you can make up a lot of time versus a group that you you, you you it has to be that detente there has to be this agreement hey we're all slowing down here let's all take a gel let's all take a drink let's all chill out a little bit and that's you know that played a huge part in 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 the front of that men's race even if it wasn't as much a factor in the women's race but but talking about somebody kind of getting in some good intervals Mona Mitterwalder I mean <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, as, as Americans, uh, and as cyclocross fans, the first thing we're going to do, and I saw this on social media as well, is you want to compare her to Clara Hansinger and, and because it's like, but for the starts, what happens with Mona and especially for, for someone who has stated really high goals <laughs> for the season and she knew it too. She said it after the race is, you know, I can't do this and, and be up here, but holy crap, what a performance to be. What was she like almost a minute down after the first lap? She was down in the fifties as far as position yeah. goes. So I think, way, I think she way had back. a, they, they had a, um, a course marshal that was number 57 that was like stapled to a tree. And she has a picture on Instagram of her passing that. And she's like, this is, this was also my position on this lap. <laughs> Yeah, she was definitely a minute down. I remember that at the start. Um, but yeah, she was almost in the fight for those last podium spots at the end. Yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, I, I do think that this is a is going to resolve itself. I think that she will get better at her short track performances and her starts and converting a good short track performance into a good cross country start. Um, this actually, I mean, this goes back a little bit to what I was talking about earlier with the teammate dynamics and the team training. I think it has been because I think, yeah, I, I can't talk about this without talking about Caroline Boa's race, uh, which was outstanding. And Caroline Boa is the one who was chasing Mona all year last year and finishing second to her almost every time, I think. Um, occasionally close, sometimes further back. Uh, but, you know, Mona has come in as the star from the U23s, a little bit overshadowing. Caroline. And I think there is a level of mentorship that Caroline is probably getting from her ghost teammates. So 
the likes of Ann Terpstra, Nadine Reeder, Nicole Kohler. Like, she's got a solid pack of experienced women who are mentoring her into these starts at the elite level. And Mona was able to kind of just sort of ride off the front of the starts um, in her U23 career. And boy, howdy, it is different to be finishing or starting in the third row, fourth row, even second row, even I will say first row of the elite ranks with all of the other people who are starting there. That is a very, very different start. And the level of, you know, confidence that you need to gain in yourself to be okay with being there, which is not a ding on her at all. Like, this is just like, it comes with experience. It comes with being okay with being jostled into that. But I feel like there is a certain level for someone like Caroline Boa. She's got people around her who are in that field that are mentoring her in a different way than what Mona is is getting from the Cannondale team. That's my hot take. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Uh, rest of this race, Lana LeCompte coming in second, really putting the pressure on McConnell. I mean, this was not a, she had, she had no parade laps this, this, this uh, week. She had to keep the, keep the foot on the pedal the whole time. Jenny Rizvitz, another, another strong, I mean, just, just podiums. I mean, she's just getting podiums every, every week. Great race for Yolanda Neff. Good comeback race for her. I think she was pretty happy about that. You know, just from being sick and being broken in the past couple seasons, I think she's healthy and, uh, it might be one to, to look out for, uh, coming, coming forward. And then, as you mentioned, Bohe, the, the fifth on, on that podium, here, here's my question for you all, uh, just in, in the bigger picture. So McConnell has now won three World Cups in a row. I think the question of whether Beck McConnell is elite or not, we can just <laughs> kind of put aside. She's there. But here, here's the question. If, if Beck McConnell decided to retire tomorrow... She's gotten seconds in the Olympics and world championships, always been there, always been tough, never really put it together. I never really had the success. I don't think putting it together is the right way to put that. Never had the success that she's had at the beginning of this season. If she retires tomorrow, does she have a complete career? I mean, no, I don't think she's going to feel like she does. Uh, I think she's had... Do you think she, you think she would be satisfied? I don't think, I, I don't know that she would be satisfied. I think she's going, but I don't know that she would be disappointed. She'd be going out okay, on that's a, a good really way of high it. note. That's, that's kind of the contrast that I'm making. Cause, cause I was, I just, what I'm getting at is just like the perspective of comparing what she's doing this year to what Luana Lacombe at 22 at the time did last year. Exact same results. I just look at McConnell as like almost almost a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. I've I've proven that I am actually who I thought I was all of these years and can put in these performances and in getting these results. And I think that yes, I think that she's still somebody who, especially this year, has world championships, has World Cup overall, has all of these goals. And I, I'm not taking any of that away. I'm just saying perspective wise, if it were to end now, I think. In her career, she can go, 
I had a good career. Yeah. And and people are going to remember who she is as a racer and and as one of the top racers of all time. Where I think Luana LeCompte, you look at her and she's like, I'm disappointed. This is not where I want to be. I should have been better last year after winning those three, and I should have won more than that. So I, I just it's just interesting what that eight-year difference does. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think so much of it comes down to attitude too. Like Becca in her interviews is just full of joy. Like she is having the time of her life having this success and is surprising herself and is, has removed the expectations or the pressure that she put on herself to perform at the level that she knew she was capable of. And I think, you know, it's, she had had several big time performances where like she was at the worlds in Mont St. Anne. She was in the lead of the race near the end of the race and had a really ill-timed mechanical. Like that could have been hers. I was there watching and I thought she was going to win. She had an ill-timed mechanical. It's like, damn, like that is leaving with disappointment. Similar race in snowshoe at the end of the year last year. I also happened to be there. I feel like I'm cursing her with late late race mechanicals now. Um, I just realized this, so uh, uh, you can't go to any more races. Yeah, any races the end of the year. She's got to button up that thing if I want to go to either of those two races this year. Um, but I think the that from here on out, it's all gravy, right? Like anything more that happens that's good, it's all gravy. And if the winning streak ends, I think she's going to be okay with it. Um, And I think probably there's, I would guess, a niggling desire to have a really great showing at Worlds again, Um, probably more so than the, the World Cup overall. Um, frankly, cause it's a, it's a nine race series. You know, she got asked about this after the race on Sunday and, you know, like, wow, you've got, you know, started out with three wins. Like how, what does that say for the overall? And it's like, well, I've got a pretty darn good lead, but like nine races, we're not even halfway there. And so I think there's, you know, that, that, that's an elusive goal for a lot of people. And I, I think, uh, I think it's great to see what seems like an attitude that just is like riding a wave of joy and in the success and, and not putting high expectations on herself and just kind of seeing like what goes next. She went into Nova Mesto saying like, it feels like a stretch goal to podium here. Like it feels like it, it'll be hard. It'll be a dream to get on the podium here and to convert that into a win is huge. Uh, farther down, uh, Kate Courtney, Haley Batten for the U.S. Both, both, both playing around the front for parts of this race, which was really good to see. So I think this was uh, definitely. I think both of them felt good about this result. Ended up in, yeah, between the, they were sprinting it out for eleventh place. Courtney uh, over over Batten there. Anybody anybody else we want to talk on the about on the women's side before moving over to the men? I think Alessandra Keller, another great race. Also, speaking of ill-timed mechanicals, a super ill-timed flat. Um, so you know, again, somebody who's riding a, a wave of of really good form right now. She was ripping those those rock sections, the rock gardens. Just another note, uh, Richard. I forgot Richard's got a flat, so. Down in the 30th, but she had a flat, so, you know, could have maybe had a little better result there. Um, maybe not all the back. Although, yeah, for sure. she had to stretch pretty hard in the pit um, while she's waiting for the flat. 
yeah, but she, you're right. I forgot about the mechanical. She definitely was up there in right around 10 to 15. Yeah. I think that, that whole, and, and kind of was the one who was bridging gaps from, from that second and third group, a lot of it. So, all right. The men's race. I got, okay. How about that? I got a question for you guys. Men's race. Okay. Here we go. Thomas Pidcock, Vlad Daskalou, Nino Scherter. Who is your man of the match? Nino. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. It has to be Nino. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I felt the same way too. Just, I mean, that ride was just amazing. But I, I also was like, obviously, you know, Pid, Pidcock's winning again. And, and Vlad, really, Vlad, the young lad. I mean, sort of Vlad, right? Vlad is the reason. Like, he started this whole thing with Pitters, right? Like, he's the guy. Like it's was it was it two well, people that were somehow involved that got Pidcock into the Olympics? Yeah, so D- Daskalou's good performance earned him a spot and moved his country out of that spot, which allowed GBR then to have a slot. So by him doing well, it opened up this position for Pidcock to be able to then have a slot to go into to make the Olympics to win the gold medal. So yeah. And then the other British mountain biker had to do and reasonably the other Brit- poorly right. in relation to Pidcock for Pidcock to take. Yeah. It was a lot of pieces in that puzzle, but Vlad Daskalou was definitely the one that had to happen for I forget I, I wrote a whole article on it, but for Romania somehow to move out of this position so so Great Britain could move into it. I, I just like that he was sort of a footnote. I mean, he was an important footnote to the story of Pidcock winning an Olympic gold medal, born for this. But it should be said, you know, and I think Zach sort of harps on that a lot as well. I I don't think we're giving Daskalou his due because he was awesome last season. I mean, he was always an amazing climber who was always putting pressure on the front. Even if he wasn't able to go the whole 75 minutes, he was always putting pressure on the front of races. Yeah, and he and Filippo Colombo were like U23 rivals just crushing the front of the U23 races. So, yeah, pretty legit racer in his own right. I think, you know, I, I, I admire the devotion that this podcast has to the weird footnote in the Tom Pidcock fan fiction canon, just, but yeah. Do you, do you think that uh, Pitters bought, bought him a gold watch? No. <laughs> I don't no. think he cares. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe he should. We're more sentimental. So yeah, maybe maybe if maybe if Pitcock was still on still on the Lions and was uh, racing a Trek, maybe that would, would be the case. <laughs> uh, so here's, I mean, I, I think the obvious part of this race tom pitcock wins this race says he feels like crap uh says his bike isn't working properly nino scherter looks like a world beater looks like nino scherter 10 years ago in this race just the one guy going to the front attacking making gaps happen making everyone hurt dropping pitcock i mean pitcock is I shouldn't say drop it. Pitcock is just like this perfect. He just plays it perfectly. Like he doesn't get 
flustered. He drops off. He can get dropped by two seconds, knowing that he can always pull it back. But you're looking at him, you're like, this is not a guy who's got attack on the brain. And Scherter was hurting him. So the best thing that could happen to him was Scherter getting this flat tire. And then it kind of was like, well, now Pitcock's fine because nobody else is going to do what Nino was doing to me, which was hurt me. So I, I think that that really played a huge part in that victory. I think I think Nino wins this race without without Pit, without a flat. A hundred percent. I mean, he looked like like the TGV. Like he looked like this high speed train as he's chasing back like group after group after group. It was like I mean, I can't even imagine how demoralizing that must have felt to be in these chase groups where you're like, oh, cool, yeah, Nino was back there. He's still back there. Like sweet. Cool, lots of time, lots of time. And then he's just like blows by as though they're standing still. I mean, unreal ride from Nino, just out of his speaking speaking about Jordan Saru, who is one of the best mountain bikers in the world. I, he he was like, Oh, sweet, it's Nino. I get a free ride to the front. And he lasted for like half a lap, like on his wheel, and then was just like gone. He couldn't even and in the I think what you were talking about also, Michael, when we're, we're watching Nino, who had this really nice one thing, you know, a shout out to Yannick, the mechanic and, and that bike change, you know, the rear tire change was, was pretty quick, but he still lost like nearly a minute. And what you were talking about, when do you recover? Those guys were taking recover super seriously on those finishing stretches. And the, the lap that he finally made contact with them I think he made up 20 seconds from the pump track to the finish line and caught them. It was just insane. He was 43 seconds faster on lap seven than the lead group. That is insane. That is so much faster. It. I mean, I think maybe I was wondering, like, you know, and they were kind of showing the sections, but I think maybe this speaks to what you're saying, Bill, and what you were saying uh, too, Elizabeth, just like, those the, those technical sections riding them faster riding them better smoother just picks up like one two three four seconds like that and just his ability obviously he's nino nine-time world champion like he's gonna ride well so yeah i mean that that was i i made a note and i it's probably not right i was like he's like a hot knife through swiss cheese more like a hot knife he's like a hot nino through check check cheese but um just just to watch him move like you said through the field was that was super thrilling like you had the front race going on but then you had the nino just coming up and like yeah like you're like like i like that you're like oh i can ride with nino now nope and like i've been there i think we've all been there you get lapped maybe in a cross race and you're like i'll just hop on and i'll just like i'll get like i'll I'll ride a little bit faster i'll finish my race sooner no that's not happening (laughs) no definitely not uh, yeah, which is, I think, I mean, the spectacular nature of Nino's chase uh, overshadowed, I think, some other pretty good performances going on in that group, which, you know, is fine. Like, Flicky has a pretty outstanding race um, leading the field around, then unfortunately getting, like, the worst, the worst of the worst getting sixth place after looking like he was in such a good position um, for a really long time. Um, the young Frischknecht, Andre Frischknecht. Uh, so for newer fans of the sport, uh, 
Andre Frischknecht's dad is kind of a big deal. Uh, owner, coach of the Scott team. So Nino's boss, Kate Courtney's boss, um, his son Andre's boss, Lars Forster's boss. Um, and like an absolute legend uh, from his own era of racing. And so to see a breakthrough ride finishing in eighth place for his kiddo is a pretty big deal. Um, definitely significantly ahead of, I think, where where the young Frishy has ever finished before. Uh, so that was pretty great. And then we got our buddy Anton Cooper back in the mix having a great day, too. So Anton Cooper, if the history of Anton Cooper at, at Nova Mesto, this could have been his career defining race. It, it kind of was, even though it didn't turn out the way he wanted to. I think it's what 2017 or 18 coming to the line, just fantastic race and gets in a kind of like what we saw, you know, it's such a great sprinting venue, but it wasn't the sprint. We'll talk about Pidcock and just how masterful that sprint was. Nino and Anton came into this sprint. They came up over the crest of that hill, and there was no drafting going on. They were shoulder to shoulder, and it was like, we're sprinting this outside to side. There are no games we're playing. It's just like, who's stronger? And they went all out for that whole finishing stretch, and photo finish, Nino gets them by like a millimeter. I mean, just pips them on the line and takes the win. And Anton's had some highlights since then, but you know, he's kind of gone through some, some struggles, not where I know he wants to be. He feels like he's a podium contender. And for a year or so after that, he was, and he was getting on podiums pretty regularly. Come back to this, right? Come back to Nova Mesto. Nino's out of the picture. Nino catches back up. Who keeps <laughs> Anton out of the top three by beating him on the line? But, Nino Scherter. I just, I was like, oh, that could have been, that could have been just that tiny little bit of payback. Yeah. That, I mean, that sprint between the two of them is like top 10 finishes of all time level. I think it just ridiculous, ridiculous. Such a long sprint, all out, no holds barred. Yeah. But great day, you know, and, and we'll, I guess let's talk about that, that the sprint that we had on this day. When, when they were coming down after the BMX section, Daskalu takes the lead, goes in front. I don't know about y'all, but right there, I was like, well, Pitcock just won. It, it was almost it was almost like let the guy have the lead because it's such a favorable position as long as you can stay within range of him to be second coming over that. And Daskalu, I, you know, it would have been amazing to see him win that race, but he's going all out and you see them again on over that crest coming in to the, to the arena. Pitcock's not even pedaling. He's just sitting in that draft, just chilling out, you know, and, and just able to ramp up and go around him. You're like, I don't know. I don't know what y'all thought, but I was just like, this race is over even before, even before we get to the finish, Pitcock's going to eat this out. It seemed that Vlad had a bit of a gap, though, right before the BMX, the pump track, right? So it seemed like he was doing. I feel like I feel like that was in Pitcock's control, though. Really? Okay. I just feel like he felt he knew that when they came to that sort of double jump section, that he could still he could still pull that back 
because it's a it's a pretty good climb until you start your sprint. So I felt like with that climb, he he could he could close it down. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't sure. It seemed like there was a point, and I think you know there was this this point earlier, and then you can sort of surmise was this Pedcock having issues with his bike, or was this uh, biomechanical? But it seemed like you know as Nino you know comes back, you have the 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 chase made, and like Vlad is looking fantastic when that happens. And then Nino cracks, but there's a point in it where Pidcock looks like he's, he is gapped off and, and maybe, you know, why? I don't know, but it didn't look like he was totally in control of it at a certain point in that race. And so I think it was worth the risk from Vlad's perspective. If you don't know for sure, like, is this guy, like, maybe he's toast, maybe he's having problems maybe I should go for it if he didn't trust his own sprint. I was like, well, I don't have a chance if we go into the sprint together and I'm second wheel, like I'm not going to get, get him in the sprint anyway. Being behind Pitcock is a losing. I mean, he can't, he's not going to overtake him. His right. only chance is to do it. But Dasklu did nothing. I'm not saying he did it tactically did anything wrong. There was nothing else for him to do. He's a climber. He was like, I need to get as much space as I can. And and you're right, Michael, when they were coming down that descent before that little pump track section, it did look like he had a good two, three second gap on him. But it seemed like once they got to that pump track, they, they it all it all kind of like came back to together every lap. Going the one the one thing I did want to point out on this track is the, and I mentioned it earlier, that second feed zone is, and I, I do think it was Vanderpool that sort of set this into play. It's interesting that he's not even in the sport anymore, but we were talking about it in Obstadt with the short track. How do you win the short track at Obstadt? He sort of had the blueprint for that. He also had the blueprint for winning this race. And the place that you attack, because you can get the best traction, it's a hard climb coming up to that second feed zone but then it just is a great runway that if you have that explosive power that's where you can get away and that's where he just grabbed Nino's heart out of his chest and ripped it out the first time that he won at Nova Mesto and they was like oh it's going to be Nino or Vanderpool and they went through that tech zone it was like hey Vanderpool's up by five seconds this you know race is over Pitcock, I think it was like lap two. When he went to the front, he attacked there. He was like, this is the Vanderpool move. And he went ahead. And I think he quickly realized, mm, I, <laughs> I don't have this today. It's it's not there. Because he got that gap and was able to go for it. But he wasn't able to do that at the end of the That's what I kept waiting for that last lap. And it was actually Daskalu that was able to go ahead there. I was like, this is, this is where you attack. And... I almost expected Nino to attack there as well. It's like, well, I know how this plays out, but unfortunately, I think that uh, even even in that that uh, industrial Costco size book of matches that that Nino had had brought to this race, he he finally finally ran out of them when it when it came to that. But that historically, that's the place that you attack, and it was just interesting that Pidcock was not, just didn't have it. He was just not able to do that, even though he wanted to at that spot. Yeah, and I think, I mean, he did do it when Nino was trying to chase back on and hadn't let latched on yet. That P- Pidcock did put off a little attack then, 
which, you know, I like immediately reaction was like, oh, he's hitting Nino in the feels like make the attack in the feed zone, hit him where it hurts, like before he can because he was so close to catching back on at that point. And then that opened the gap up a little bit more again. Um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, I I think we could talk about the consummate professional that is Tom Pidcock not blaming his bike, even though he's kind right. of caught on a hot mic blaming his bike. Then in the interview, just sort of like quickly shuts down that line of questioning. <laughs> um, so we don't really have information on on what was going on other than maybe uh, a lockout situation not working correctly. Um but yeah, and also somebody did mention. I put that out on Twitter, and somebody did mention. He's like, "Well, you know, BMC might not be a sponsor, but Suntour is, and other exactly. other things that hang on that bike still still are sponsors." So he's not gonna. But it was interesting too, when I I was like, "Hey, professional," that people were like, "Yeah, but he's always complaining about something," which I I didn't realize he had that. Uh, hmm. Maybe maybe it was just haters, but I I don't know. Is that a, a reputation that that Pitcock has? I don't know. I can, I don't know. I mean, he's, yeah, he, I would thought that was a very interesting interview, right? I mean, cause he, he sort of, he said he didn't feel good and it was, I don't know. He didn't, it's, I was just thinking like, I've seen this guy race before and like, he is sort of an interesting, I, I can't get like a pulse on him. I can't figure out him and like, if he's annoyed or if he's like really enjoying himself and he kind of seems all over the place sometimes and hard to read. Um, I don't know. I thought that was an amazing moment, though, Elizabeth, when he sort of said, my bike had issues, my body had issues, and the interviewer was like, yeah, what was wrong with your bike? And he's like, well, anyway. like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think, too, I think that the – I will bet that the road season and, and just the classic season kind of matured his racing tactics um, because he was a guy who in the past, and we saw this in cyclocross, you know, we can even look back to um, – no more, you, you know, he's the guy who's like, I'm going. Race starts, right. I'm going. See y'all later. And now I think he's he's kind of thinking about things tactically. And and it's like such a veteran move when you're not feeling well, but still find a way to win. I mean, you know, nothing more pro than that. Very true. Uh, Alan Hatherley, great race for him. I, I think it's, it's good that that's not a fluke that we're seeing him at the front of these races. He's a guy that I think was strong in last year as well, but is finally, you know, sort of moved up to that that next step and is is hunting podiums every every weekend um yeah who who else anything anything else worth discussing in this men's race bit of a bummer to see a dnf for sam gaze i gotta say um after a great weekend in alpstadt so that's too bad to see i don't know what happened there but blevins must have had a great last lap because it looked like he was falling, falling, falling. He he was up there pretty early, sort of hanging around in the top ten. Seemed like he dropped down into the twenties, and then I was I was surprised to see him uh, come over in seventeenth, which is a, a good result. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I think uh, the other one that's you know not a uh, not all the way up there, but seemingly having a, a pretty solid year is also Pierre de Fromont, like the guy who had the wild breakthrough ride in Brazil uh, coming in with the 13th place and being in, in a good chase group there for a while. Uh, I think uh, Vital Albin is a new name for a top 10 spot, uh, younger Swiss rider. So that's pretty exciting too. Carod 
having a good season? They don't even want to give him a flag, but second Belgian, right. Don Sota. I was just looking at that. I'm like, why does he not have a flag? They're like, who's this guy? Armand Don, who's like, someone upset, like, he's like getting disrespected because like, he's the mountain, he's the Belgian mountain biker who's been like putting in the work the last few seasons. And then, like, who's this newcomer? Hanging out with Dan McConnell. Look at that. Right. Dan's yeah. racing. Yeah. Dan's racing. racing. But yeah, no, Dan, Don Sota got a little bit of TV time. And again, a really respectable finish in, again, a, you know, a race we're talking about people really care about. Um, He's had a had a good ride in front of some pretty, you know. He's in front of Maxime Marot. I mean, Marot obviously has an ill timed mechanical on this course, which is a bummer for him in the overall standings. But in front of Sebastian Finney, like nothing to sneeze at. Dan, good job, buddy. I want to give a shout out to uh, the the rider in ninetieth place, uh, Sam. No, sorry, ninety second place, Samuel Shaw. He was the the rider who was wearing the baggies and T-shirt. Um, I guess that was at Alpstadt. And the same situation, UCI came up to him and said, I don't think they said that Europe is watching. Um, they probably didn't say that America is watching, but they made him put on a shirt. And he's wearing a Corendon Circus jersey. I don't know if that's an old, an old team kit, but that's like, this is the old, uh, the old Vanderpool jersey I'm that's looking at. That's amazing. So he just like... That's great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So so definitely go follow Samuel Toe Jam- Sammy Toe Jammy Incorporated Inc on Instagram. Uh, good follow. He kind of seems like a uh, what Josh Bauer esque. Uh, who's the other gentleman who's who raises Jay Money? Jay Money. Um, sort of like journeyman racer uh, over in Europe. I think he's from Australia, possibly, maybe New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, just give him a little shout out there. So great. Did he, he didn't place high enough for Shimano to not make him pay for his parts. Doesn't he have to get a top 90 for Shimano not to make him pay for his group set? Oh, is that the, that's hilarious. I think so. It's, it, I, thought, I think it's a top 90. Oh, man. Yeah. No, he didn't make it this so time. So close. They, they should do that. They should do the bottom 90. That's so good. I love it. I love it. Make the make the top guys pay for it. They can afford it. Somebody else is paying <laughs> for the top guys' stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Sweet. Well, did we do it? We did it. Fantastic. All right. Next time. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I'm I mountain biking is is really cool, and I wish I didn't live in New Orleans. And on that note, we'll uh, see you next time. And hang in there, kid. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, but we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.